Does aesthetic world building come into conflict? Co- sorry. Does aesthetic world building come into conflict? Jesus Christ. I can't say conflict. Let me do that again. <clears throat> but you said I can't say conflict and then you said it right that time. Oh, I did, didn't I? I Maybe I just got like red light syndrome. I can't, I can't say it when I know I'm officially in the recording, you know? Anyhow. So, conflict. <laughs> no. Um, does aesthetic world building come into conflict? <laughs> in light of the last episode, Bill, mm-hmm. and our discussion about the Martian, uh, I went off and listened to The Martian. Okay. And not only did I listen to it, Bill, I also watched the film. Okay. And uh, I have thoughts. Please share them. So, first thought is, the the book's okay. Yeah. At least from an audiobook standpoint. Like you said, I, I thought it was it was solid. It wasn't anything to, you know, write home about, but it was okay. The maths really bugged me. I anticipated that, and it really bugged me. There was... There really was a lot of it. Yep. Like so much. And I found myself way more interested in in the political side of things and the, the interaction between humans. Like the best bit of the book, I thought, was when... Spoiler alert here, guys, actually. Was when the Chinese stepped in. Yeah. Yeah, and then like their political motivations for doing so. You know, they don't really care about Mark, per se. They were kind of like, we can advance China on the world stage if we, you know, come to the rescue of the Americans. Yeah. That stuff I thought was great. And the internal politics of NASA. And the internal politics of NASA, exactly. I thought that stuff was awesome. And even Mark surviving on a like a human level was great. But there was just so many calculations. And it was really hard to like stay focused on them because I was like I I, I lost interest really quickly. Mm. Uh, so that was my uh, my thoughts on it. And then I, I, after I finished listening to the book, because I listened to it on audiobook, I sat back and thought about it for a second, and I kind of, I struggled to come to terms with why I didn't like all the maths, because you know I like Star Trek. And Star Trek, although we had pointed this out in the last episode, but it, it has technobabble. And we know its technobabble isn't grounded in rigor the way the Martian stuff is, but it's still like technical speak and lots of it. Yeah. So I found, I was I was conflicted. I was like, I really like Star Trek and I don't find all the kind of like speculative engineering in it a problem. But I found the stuff in, Marsh, in the Martian a problem. And I think for me, it was just an issue of volume. Like a Star Trek episode is uh, 45 minutes and maybe mm-hmm. say five of those minutes, maybe 10 at a push is uh, technical stuff. And then that's it, you know? If so, even. If even, exactly. So you're not exposed to as much of it. Um, and even if you watch episodes like a string of episodes in a row, there's that, that mental break between episodes. You know, you're starting anew. Mm-hmm. Whereas with The Martian, it was like, it was a 10 hour audiobook, right? <laughs> and it was a lot of maths to do in 10 hours. And I ne- I did it in almost one sitting on a sl- in a sleepless night. Oh God. So it was hardcore. And, you know, so it, it was, it was all right. I recommend the book. Uh, I still have a problem with the maths. That's fair enough. Um, and then, so the movie, right? Mm-hmm. Have you seen the movie? I haven't. Are, are you going to see the movie? I don't know. You don't know? Okay. So I, I thought the movie might be better than the book. Mm-hmm. I thought it, w- it would make more sense as a movie. And in many ways, it did. Like, for one, they got rid of 90% of the maths. Because okay. there's no way a mainstream audience would, would be able to deal with all that. 
and they pay homage to it by a, with a fairly matzy scene at the start and then it kind of dwindles as it goes out. But the movie, right? The movie was almost two and a half hours long. Okay? So okay. It's, a, it's a long movie. But it didn't seem long at all, which usually is a good thing. But for me, it was kind of like, oh, Mark was trapped there for 20 days. <laughs> Not so bad. Just came home on the next spaceship that flew by, you know? And like, I didn't, I didn't feel like... I didn't feel like, you know, uh, Mark Watney was really like, he was there for like, how long was there for? Like a year and a half? Something like that? Something like that, I think, yeah. Did not come across like that in the movie. And they like delayed visual cues, like say beards growing for ages. And I feel like they should have like had that as a thing from the start. Like his beard should have progressively gotten bigger and bushier throughout. So you could really feel like the time passing. And it just, that didn't, that didn't happen. Hmm. Um, they also made the movie way uh, more hilarious. Oh, really? It's like it's. I would say it's borderline comedy. <laughs> <laughs> like, like the the people in the cinema where they were loving it. Like there was laughs, there was giggles. It was it was great old crack. And that, that like his, his cracks and stuff. Yeah, exactly. And the way they play off the interactions, like in NASA, even um, the sort of like backhanded sort of things, and yeah, it just all came across being very very funny. Much more so than the book. Hmm. But, and the last thing, and then I, I'll stop talking about the Martian. Uh, the, the, uh, remember I said about the Chinese and how that's the best bit of the book? Yeah. They totally cut that. What? They completely cut, like, it, they're there, obviously, but they go, let's help the Americans. And then they go, okay. But there's none, right. of, there's none of the, like, the wheeling and dealing and the sort of, like, power struggle on the world stage. And I was like, oh, guys, no. No, what have you done? Oh, so they got rid of the maths, but they also got rid of the really good bit. And I was like, oh, no. Yeah, that sounds like a shame. But overall, it was a fun movie. Uh, I said to, because there was a few of us in the cinema, I said to the, the people I was with, I was like, uh, it was a solid movie for a solid book, but nothing I'd go watch again. Yeah, I, I can see that being being a likely outcome. Yeah. Like, the, the thing about it is that, about the book, is that, like, Andy Weir is an engineer or something. Like, he's, he's a person from a technical background. He's not a writer. So the prose isn't fantastic. It's it, it it's good. It does the job, but mm, mm. you know he he isn't really trained in how to make things funny and stuff. So and and I think you can tell that. So it's it's not really that surprising to me that the that the film would be funnier. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think a lot of visual cues as well help. You know. Yeah. I think as well, Bill. The thing with Andy Weir is, I think it'd be interesting to see what he does as a second book. Yeah. Yeah, because I, I I I have a sneaky suspicion that The Martian wouldn't have done so well if it wasn't released around now. Like, because Mars is very much in the news uh, and has been for the past, what, maybe a year or two, perhaps? Okay. I think that's helped the book immensely. And it'd be interesting to see what happens with his, with a second book. If, I think he's working on kind of a, a sort of a space opera kind of thing. Is he? I think so. Oh, because I was about to say again, if he goes down the route of the, like, technical engineering fiction... Um, I don't think it'll fly. Mm -hmm. I think this was kind of, it caught people off guard in a way. And like, example, the captain, for example, she read it because she heard of this unique way of writing a book. I.e. the speculative engineering. But if that happens again, I don't know if it's going to fly so much. Yeah, it won't, won't be won't be that in, as interesting the second term. Around. Exactly. So it'd be interesting. I'm going to keep an eye out to see what, what he comes up with next. So all around... Uh, film and book I'd give it a solid maybe uh, six six and a half out of ten maybe maybe seven okay. Let, let's let's be generous seven cool 
All right, okay, so that is point number one. Point number two, Bill. I have finished Voyager. Oh, really? I have. Okay, now, I, before, before I start talking about Star Trek, right? Because no one has left any comments in the subreddit saying, stop talking about Star Trek, I'm <laughs> going to take that as everyone wants to hear lots about Star Trek, all right? So we're going, to, we're going to double down on the Star Trek, and if people don't like it, leave a comment, and then we'll see what happens. Uh, but anyhow, I finished Voyager. Mm-hmm. And Voyager, again, has me really conflicted now. And I'm, I, I'm like, I, I fairly quickly got the Martian into a box and was able to, like, get in my head where I thought it sat in the grander scheme of things. I can't do that with Voyager. It's a real troublesome series. In, you see, depending on your outlook, it's either the best Star Trek there is. Right. Or just the bottom of the barrel worst nonsense ever. <laughs> Okay. And, and it all depends on where you come from. Like, if you're into Star Trek for the, you know, boldly go where no man has gone before sort of thing, mm-hmm. and seeing a new new set of aliens every week and things like that, then it's by far the best. It does a better job than the original series because they're literally going where no man has gone before. Yeah. You know, and you get that sense of exploration. But if you're into Star Trek for social commentary, which I think is why people are into Star Trek, Voyager fails miserably at that. Like, it it tries every so often. And there's a few standout episodes that are kind of good social commentary, but, like, doesn't come anywhere close to, say, The Next Generation, Mm -hmm. you know? Do you think that's why most people are into it, rather than seeing cool aliens? I think so, yeah. Just from reading around the internet, it was always kind of like, you know, Star Trek does this issue. Star Trek does, like, the National Health Service. And I think people are interested in seeing that. Cameron's Federation. Cameron's Federation? Like uh, David Cameron. Politics jokes. Right here on the Artifexian podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. For all of our our US listeners who may not even know who David Cameron is. Actually, no, they would. He went viral with his, um, with the pig thing recently. With uh, Piggate, yeah. Piggate, yeah, yeah. (laughs) That is one thing I absolutely loathe, Edgar. Okay. Is uh, uh, fixing gate as a suffix to, to every political scandal. Oh, really? Yeah, now, now is, is that because it's unimaginative or it uh, undermines the original use of the word gate in a political standal? Just just unimaginative. Yeah. I, do you know what I like about it? What? Outside of the political realm. I think it's funny when it's attached to like uh, non-political things, like Ben Gate with the iPhones. I thought yeah, that was great because it's like it like gives this air of kind of like, oh my God, this is really serious. There's something that's not really that serious at all, you know? There's there's a rather good Mitch you know Michelin Web? Uh, I know of them, but I haven't watched any of their stuff. There's a rather good Michelin Web sketch based on this where one of them is convinced that the original scandal is the Watergate gate. <laughs> because he used gate as a suffix and the scandal happened in the Watergate Hotel. Because <laughs> uh, if it was just the Watergate scandal, then it would be something to do with water. That's brilliant. Yeah. <laughs> I'll see if I can if I can find a YouTube link to it and can throw it in the show notes. Um, I wonder has has Gate like has it lost its um, connection to the original thing? Because I mean, like lots of people alive today, like me included, weren't around when Watergate happened. So I'm mm-hmm. assuming for a good like swab of people, Gate purely exists as a, as a suffix. Possibly, yeah. Hmm. I'm not sure how I feel about that. 
an annoying one. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> I think without the connection to the original event, I think it's it loses all all appeal. If it's just like a suffix, that's a bit you know. Mm. But anyhow, politics. But sorry, on, politics on Star the Trek. artifacts in podcast. <laughs> Jesus. So yeah, it's so it's it's either great or complete nonsense. I can't tell. For the early seasons, it was awful. Just just downright awful. Um, until Seven of Nine steps in and drags the show back on course, it was not great at all. From season four onwards, it gets better. And, like, there's moments of pure golden sci-fi writing in it. Like, do you, you ever hear of an episode called Blink of an Eye? Not sure. Okay, it's quite a famous one. It's spoilers, mild spoilers here again. It's where um, they're in orbit around a donut planet. Okay. And the donut planet is out of temporal phase with the rest of the universe. Oh, yes. Yeah, and so that means... I think I, I think I remember seeing this. Yeah, so that means that time goes faster. Time is faster on the planet than it is on Voyager. Yeah. So for every one minute on Voyager, it's like 10 years on the planet. And it is a beautiful study into culture and interfering with other cultures. And like there's like a space race and it, it's just... Great. It's like, they should have made a movie out of just that episode. I was blown away, right? But then on the other hand, you have an episode like Threshold. And do you know Threshold? I don't remember Threshold. Threshold is where uh, Janeway and Paris turn into like these lizard things and make lizard babies. And then they populate like a planet with their offspring. And it's... Nah. It's just... It's just... It's so incredibly awful. Like, I've never seen no. worse television. It's it's awful. No. <laughs> you Google it, man. Uh, it's, oh, it's so bad. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> That's, uh... So, those two episodes... Wow. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? Those two ep- episodes perfectly sum up Voyager. It goes from sublime to absolute trash. And it's a very hit and miss... A very hit and miss Star Trek. But it's lots of fun. It's really funny and quirky and camp. And if you're into that, that's cool. But it like it cannot and will not ever touch the likes of uh, The Next Generation and Deep Space Nine. It's like Star Trek light. That's what it's like. Okay. Mm. Maybe I should, I should re-watch some of it. My, my main issue with it was that it, it just... It was the, the most blatant example of there just being like four plots yeah you were saying before yeah like uh, yeah I've, I've said this on the podcast already like there's there's essentially like three or four actual plots for a star trek voyager episode and they just recycle them over and over again yeah pretty much and it really annoys me because i i don't particularly i never particularly like janeway as a character oh uh, controversial yeah. no i just i just never but i really like that actor i really like kate mulgrew Okay, all right, all right. What is it about Janeway that, that you didn't like? And what, hold, know, on, just, hold on, what is it about Janeway you didn't like and what, that you like about Mulgrew? I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't get. I, I don't know, she just never really, never really spoke to me in any way. I was never, she was never that, that kind of interesting or compelling a character. Now, bear in mind, I was watching this when it was originally broadcast and shortly afterwards, so I might... That's mid-90s, is it? Oh, no, early thousands. Is it already thousands? No. Early th- early thousands, yeah. No. Well, really? It, it finished in the early thousands. I don't know when it started. I think maybe it started in the mid-90s. Oh, wow. But it, uh, sure, let's, let's check. I have I have Wikipedia open. Sure, yeah, Bill can Google. Let's do it. Um, to, 1995 to 2001. So maybe I was watching it a little bit afterwards. I was watching it okay. like about 12 years ago, let's say. 
So little little Bill maybe didn't appreciate the nuances that older Bill may have done when it came to Janeway. Possibly, yeah. Like well, I might I might kind of reevaluate or were to watch it now. But uh, I really like Kate Mulgrew because she's in Orange is the New Black and she's uh, the best character in Orange is the New oh, Black. Oh, is she? I've never seen Orange is the New Black because, you know, sci-fi. Um, <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, I, I never heard anyone speak about her. They, like, all I've heard uh, about Orange is the New Black is the that that actor that actor that's coming in. Um, Ruby Rose. Ruby Rose, yes. Yeah. Uh, that, that, that went massive on the internet for some... I don't know. I don't know what, what it was about. I don't get that show. I don't know what's... It's about jail. Okay. Yeah. And the uh, first two seasons are really good. I don't okay. really like the third season much, but the first two are very, very good. Uh, does, does, does Mulgrew play some sort of... Um, is she a Russian inmate, I seem to think? Yeah. yeah. Ah, she, okay. She plays this this kind of um, older Russian woman who's who's like total badass. <laughs> but Janeway and was... I love her. Jay- <laughs> and I love her. Uh, Janeway was a badass as well. I guess. I just, I, I don't know. I don't remember it as that, and it didn't really come across that way to me at the time. Just to elaborate a little bit on the Janeway situation here, right? I think she's a great captain. Mm-hmm. And I think Mulgrew played her really well. But I think the, the thing that undermines her as a captain are the writers. They couldn't sort out what her role was early on. And it's very kind of up and down. And there's a lot of character changes. Like, she goes from being like... Uh, like a stern leader, you know, to being like a real comforting mum. And I get that people can do that, but they were like, it was like the character did a 180 flip. Right. On a regular basis. And it was very jarring. And so she didn't have a consistent thread kind of. She did, Well, not until they locked it down and figured out what they're going to do after a couple of, uh, a couple of seasons. Mm-hmm. But, uh, and Mulgrew, I think has said in the past that um, the only way she could deal with it, and I think this speaks volumes to her as, a, as an actor, the only way she dealt with it was to play, play it as if Janeway had shell shock, right? Right. So th- that sort of like mixture of confusing emotions and like not having the stability in her character. And she used that as a platform to be able to like pull off Janeway. And the fact that she pulled off Janeway amidst all the confusion in the writing, I think is testament to how good of an actor she is. Fair enough. Um, what what does she have shell shock from? No, 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 no. She doesn't have shell shock from anything. Janeway just took that. Uh, Mulgrew took that as her inspiration. Oh, okay. And she used that as a kind of way to to like get past the writer's craziness. You know, she was like, okay, if I just play I it with shell shock, all this should make some sort of sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and she she's a great captain. She, I still think she's she's not she's not as good as Picard. No one's going to be as good as Picard. She is better than Cisco, I feel. And the only reason she is better than Cisco is that uh, the actor whose name escapes me, who played Cisco, is not a good actor. I don't think. Oh, fair enough. <laughs> um, he he is uh, he is prone to bouts of serious overacting sometimes, <laughs> and I think Janeway is an overall a better actor. So all three Avery are- Brooks. That's it, that's it, yes. All three are great captains, and I think for me it would go Picard, Janeway, Cisco, Kirk, and I need to find out how I'm going to fit Archer into all these things. Mm-hmm. So you have to watch Enterprise next? I've started Enterprise. Oh, have you? I have. I Okay, can I can I keep going? Yeah? Well, sure, we'll cut this if it gets too long, right? Okay, so Enterprise, right? Ta- I've only watched like five episodes, so, so thoughts... Th- immediate thoughts on Enterprise and they're liable to change so don't hold mm-hmm. me to this internet the theme song is 
ridiculous. <laughs> it's terrible. Isn't it? What were they thinking like? Like, and I heard people say, oh, they're singing before, right? And I assumed this was singing as in, like, the original series singing. You know, like, yeah. so- somebody warbling. But it's... <laughs> exactly, exactly. Something like that, right? But it's a pop song, like, or not, it's not even a pop song. It's like a, like a... It's kind of a country folk song. A country folk song. And I'm like, what is this? And then juxtaposed with the images of space. It's like, oh God, what were you thinking, people? Which works for Firefly. Uh, do they have a pop song? I can't remember. Again, I only watched a couple of episodes when I uh, briefly tried to make a true flyer fl- Firefly, but then Star Trek came again. And I couldn't. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, it's... Yeah, it's got kind of like a, a country-ish kind of sound. Huh. It, well, it doesn't work in Enterprise. Not yeah. at all. Not even slightly. So the overall aesthetics, because I haven't got a chance to know any of the crew, really. So I'm not going to comment on characters. The overall aesthetics are very good. And I think they are a lot more real than the likes of... The likes of The Next Generation and Voyager, I suppose. Like, it, it feels like you're in a vessel in space... You know, not like a luxury cruise liner. Okay. Which always bugged me. Like, I I always hated the inside of the Enterprise in The Next Generation with their, like, you know, plush carpets everywhere. You're like, I I get it. I get why this can be a thing. But I'm like, just make it look more more like a, a scientific vessel. Do you know what I mean? And I think Enterprise does that really well. Um, it looks like a, a kind of a real spaceship. It's pretty cool. The The cast overall, they all look the same. They all, look, they all look like the same person, barring, barring obviously, Tapal, who's Vulcan and clearly looks different. But I still get confused between the characters. Like, wait, now, who is this now? Because they're all, like, kind of, like, good-looking. Well, for the most part, okay, they're all, like, good-looking, uh, kind of beefy Caucasian males in a certain <laughs> in a certain age bracket. And it's like, I don't know who you are. You could be any one of five characters here, you know? On, on that point, uh, I recently went to see the, the new Macbeth film. I didn't realize there was a Macbeth film. Yeah, one one has just come out recently, and it stars Michael Fassbender as Macbeth. Oh, I heard. Yeah, I heard about this. I heard that he was the internet was saying he was the perfect person to play Macbeth. Is that the case? Well, I had a similar problem with with Macbeth as you are having with Star Trek Enterprise, because <laughs> every single character in it, apart from Lady Macbeth and the witches, everyone that you see more than a handful of times is a middle-aged white man with a beard and a sort of haggard expression and a dirty face and a Scottish accent. (laughs) It's impossible to tell who's who. And also, it's really visually muddy, the film, I found. It was really kind of... It it wasn't very kind of crisply shot, so it could be kind of hard to tell, like, who you're actually looking at at times. (laughs) And it was just like, I... I mean, I, I, you know, I studied Macbeth from my leaving cert, so I, I know it roughly... But even with that, I was kind of having difficulty remembering, like, is, is that Macduff or is that Malcolm or what, like, what's going on? <laughs> like, is it so hard to just cast actors that look very different from one another? Well, I mean, like, 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 like you know, like the, the other guys don't look like Michael Fassbender, but when they all have dirty faces and haggard expressions and beards. Yeah, yeah. And the same it, thing, it, the same thing goes for Enterprise. If they're all in the same costume, yeah. <laughs> it's like... <laughs> Oh, 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 the costume. The costume, right? Finally, finally, a uniform, a Starfleet uniform that actually makes sense. Like, 
brilliant. Like, for so, for so long, I've been really at odds with the uniform because it's like, well, one, it looks like pyjamas. I don't like that. Don't just, just choose not to make it look like pyjamas. And mm-hmm. two, they have no pockets. <laughs> there are no pockets on, on like, for, for many, many centuries, no human has worn pockets on a spaceship like it. It's ridiculous. And in the Enterprise, at least they have, like, they have zips and it looks like a bit like a jumpsuit, which is kind of cool. And again, I get why there are no pockets because they've, you know, they've gotten past the point of needing these things and they value aesthetics over practicality. But finally, with Enterprise, I'm like, yes, this looks like you're in space and you're going exploring. I think this is going to be good. But then I read the reviews and it's like, Enterprise, the worst thing ever. It's like, oh, great. What I don't understand is why they made a prequel. Oh, no, my thoughts are exactly the opposite. My thoughts are, why didn't they make a prequel sooner? I know, it just, it just seems like, because they, to keep it interesting, they have to add new aliens that we've never met in any of the other series. So, if, if you knew all these aliens, like, before the original series, how come no one has mentioned them for 300 years afterwards? Yeah, okay, now, that, yeah, all right, fair point, right? But I think this goes again to why you watch Star Trek. And if you watch Star Trek for the new aliens every week, then I suppose Enterprise probably isn't going to be for you. But if you watch Star Trek for the commentary, then it doesn't make a difference. I know. That, that's, it's just an inconsistency that bothers me. But what? From a world-building point of view. But why is that an inconsistency? I don't understand. Like, okay, so I don't know what the new aliens that they have in Enterprise are. I've only, like, I watched a tiny bit of it. But let, let's say they're called the Cups. The Cups, Okay. So if you know they they meet uh, uh, the do, glorious do, uh, cup on, empire, on. yeah, yeah. Do do the cups come from like planet cup? Presumably, and they have like the cup empire. Presumably, oh, that's cool. That's really and cool. that gets folded into the federation or whatever, right? Then how come we've never seen a single cup character in any of the other seasons, and like no one has ever mentioned them again? It it, it breaks my immersion. All right, when is the last time you have heard a new story that came from East Timor? A news story. Um, yeah, or any. when is the last time, say, East Timor cropped up on your radar? Like, could it just be that when the Cup Empire is folded into the Federation, they make up just an insignificant portion? Not saying that East Timor is insignificant or anything, but they make up just a small portion and that it wouldn't, they wouldn't play a big part on the global or the sort of the intergalactic scale. Okay, to answer your question... Does Timor in general count, or does it have to be specifically East Timor? Because I saw a reference to Timor the other day, and obviously that made me think of East Timor. <laughs> you are you are taking my analogy way too literally. No, no, but no, no. You asked a question, so I want to give you an honest answer. All right, okay. two days ago. Okay, okay, okay. <laughs> two days ago, right? But do, do you get my point? <sighs> yeah, but like then, if you know, why are they worthy of a, like a full storyline in Enterprise if if they're no, only a tiny thing. But they, it but just, in Enterprise, they don't know that they they might become uh, an insignificant portion. I don't like, know. Just, we don't it, it, we don't know what countries. Well, we kind of can predict it, but you know, we we're not guaranteed what countries are going to be like like leading superpowers in the next like seven eight hundred years. If there are even countries, then you know that, we don't we don't. No, know. it's it's not that. It's not that. Right. What is it? It's it's just like. Why have we never heard of them before? That That's like all of the aliens we've had in all of the other series. And then, oh, these are the people that are in the in the Federation. These are all the races. And then they go backwards and they retcon. Oh, and there's all these other races as well. Hmm. It just, it just puts me off. 
I take your point, but I can I can brush it aside. I can logic it away, if you know what I mean. Hmm. Um, I, I think it's small price to pay for going back and hearing about the origins of the Federation. Like, because that, that, that strikes me as an interesting story. Like, you know, how humanity took its first steps into, like, deep space. And then, like, the, the relationship with the Vulcans, and it's not all rosy at the start and things like that. Like, that's really cool things to be explored. And if it means you have to chuck in a few new aliens, then, you know, let's go for the greater good here. I'd just like to see them go forward and have, like, even cooler technology. A question then, right? I think we talked in the podcast before about this. So I might cut this. I don't know. What would you like to see in another Star Trek? Because um, I think there's a limit to how what you can go with Star Trek here. Because, like, what else do you do? I Maybe they, they cover this in some of the DS9 that I don't remember. But I'd, I'd like to see... More of the, the the Federation dealing with war. Okay. They, I would say they certainly do cover it fairly well in, in DS9. Okay. Um, but yeah, you could have another war one. But then, then you, you see, then the purists are going to be like, that's not Star Trek. Like, Deep Space Nine isn't Star Trek. You know, I, I, I think of... Pretty Deep... sure it is. No. <laughs> You're doing the literal thing again. <laughs> like, I... Deep Space Nine has nothing got to do with the ideals that Star Trek stands for and has kind of stood for throughout its entire run. Mm. Like, it's more akin to things like Battlestar Galactica than it is to a Star Trek thing. Yeah. Um, I guess I'm not really that that bothered about the, the that purity of brand. I'd like to see a variety of things. Yeah, and nor am I. Nor am I. I'm just, that, that's a point that is uh, to be considered because uh, some people be like, you know, the Federation is all about exploring and encountering new new uh, races and, you know, um, mm-hmm. making first contact, not going to war with people. Yeah. But, like, I think it's hard to do a new Star Trek that's genuinely new. You can't do the Lost in Space thing. With Voyager, you can't do just at a distance. Do you know what I mean? You've already had the just go exploring with the likes of the original series and Next Generation. And the proposal that was made for the next Star Trek was that you go to a new galaxy. But, like, effectively, yeah. that's the same thing. Yeah, that's that's just a, a nominal change. That's a nominal change. And it's, it's hard to... I think it's hard to imagine what happens next. Or unless, or you could do the breakdown of the Federation. Yeah. Like, post-apocalyptic Federation. Yeah. Um, I suppose it's the only way you could go, you know? But anyhow, but anyhow... So, Voyager, out of 10, because we all know Bill loves his ranking out of 10, I would give Voyager... Uh, I, I think I'd give it another 7. Okay. It, it, it's fine. It's fun. It's a lot of fun. A lot of inconsistencies. An awful lot of crap. Some brilliance. 7 of 9 is awesome. It, was that out of 10 thing a reference to something that I've forgotten? Yeah, yeah. The last time I asked you to, uh, to sum up something out of 10... And you were like, my feelings are too complex. I can't, <laughs> I can't put a simple numerical value on my opinions. Blah 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 oh, blah blah. God, I am the worst. <laughs> and then, and then, remember, I went. You don't have to put a simple numerical value. And then you went. Oh, it's a six I out of ten. You went all complex numbers on us. You're such a nerd, Bill. <laughs> uh, this is how I roll. Um, so that is Star Trek, and that's the Martian, right? Yeah. Now I have a follow-up question. This is all technically follow-up, by the way, listeners. I'm really sorry about this. <laughs> <laughs> a follow-up question from the last episode. Okay. As I was editing it, 
I kept he- hearing you say things, and I didn't pick up uh, on this during recording, but I kept hearing you say things like, um, you know, that's a lot more aesthetic uh, world building than rigorous world building, Edgar. It's not what I'd expect, right? Okay. And which is, which is totally cool, totally cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the overall sentiment I got when I edited the thing together was that this idea that aesthetic world building is not as good as rigorous world building. And I just, I thought I'd put that to you again because I'd like, I'd like you to clarify and I, because I, I think it's an interesting question. Is aesthetic world building worse than rigorous world building? No. No. Okay. So then why, or maybe you were, maybe this is just me, but I, I felt like it was framed, uh, your discussion was framed in like the use of aesthetic was a negative term. Is that true? No. Oh. I picked up not totally wrong. <laughs> okay, does aesthetic world building come into conflict with rigorous world building? I mm. like can can one be rigorous and impose a, uh, aesthetic constraints on top of the rigor? Like my opinion is yes, and I felt like I was doing that. I felt like I was being overall quite rigorous and then just yeah. superimposing these aesthetic things to tie symbolism together. But does does that detract from the rigor? In your when, opinion, when I was when I was saying I was surprised and by by it, and I wasn't expecting it to be more aesthetic. That wasn't a criticism of your of your world building. I it was just a, a genuine expression of surprise. I it was not what I expected you to do. Okay, no, that that's cool. That's cool. Yeah. Um. But 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 outside of outside of our discussion last week, say is is that the case though? Is it that aesthetic world building is in conflict with rigor? I mean, in the, in a never- broader general sense. I mean, if if you're too wound up in rigor, you're only you're not going to create anything new or interesting. You're only going to create like an actual world, a perfect you know? a perfect simulation of our universe. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you're you're going to have to make some kind of concessions or some kind of leaps at some stage, or else you're just going to have a carbon copy of how you see the world yourself. So, in that sense. I would say that framing this conflict is, is a bit difficult because it's necessary. Okay, then, so can I, can I just to, to elaborate even further, can I flip it around? Does okay. rigorous uh, world building make the aesthetic aspects better? Like if you have a good underlay of rigor, does that mean if one puts aesthetic things on top, that kind of uh, validates them? I would say yes to that. You would say yes to that, okay. I would say yes to that because, I mean, if you're just like pulling stuff out of thin air with no regard for its kind of internal consistency. And I mean, I, I would consider internal consistency to be more important in terms of rigor than not necessarily uh, replicating real life facts. Right. Okay. Okay. Obviously, I think you, you, you there's some certain things that you, you are going to want to keep like mammals breathe <laughs> oxygen, things like that. Um, whoa, 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 whoa. Why would, why obviously there? Because that's a, like a, a fundamental thing of of how we work i don't understand the question okay but like uh you know that book world building that i keep banging on about um right the writer's guide to constructing fictional star systems yeah yeah the guy i think has some the the guy who wrote it has some backing in chemistry so he spends a lot of time talking about chemistry and he proposes a scenario whereby uh, i i assume i'm no chemist it's entirely plausible that uh mammal like beings could evolve to breed chlorine. Okay, so not mammals then. <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay. All right. So you're saying you're saying like as in like humans essentially. If I rep- yeah. Okay. Right. So if I make a a sentient 
rat species, right, on a faraway okay. planet and have them breed chlorine, you're not counting that as a mammal. No, I mean, right. like, okay. like, actual scientific things about the real world. Right, okay, like, right. You, you can't just ignore, like, combustion, for example. You can't just say, oh, well, that doesn't work in this planet. That sort of thing. Oh, that, yeah, okay, fair point, fair point. Or that doesn't work in this dimension or whatever. Um, I'd, so like, kind of, I'd like to think you can get away with it in the dimension thing. If you change dimension, you could do anything, man. Yeah, okay, but the, the, I'm, I'm borrowing off someone else's example here, that if you have, you have, you have like, another realm and matches no longer work because that's too advanced technology, right? That, that, that was in some, some fiction or some fanfic or something that, that I came across online. Huh. By that logic, you can't breathe anymore. Because it's exactly the same chemical process. Oh, that's, yeah, yeah. This kind of thing. I think, I think so a way of summing it up is uh, you need to make sure that you include the things that make everything else function. If you yeah. disregard those things, the consequences are dire. Yeah, and I, I think it's just, you know, I, I would find that really silly to say that the exact same chemistry works sometimes and doesn't work other times. Yeah, so you want this kind of, yeah, having, having a rigorous basis just makes things easier to to buy i guess and then you know you you can take the the aesthetic leaps on top of that as i said there's some things that you you don't want to completely ignore like combustion and basic chemistry and stuff and then if you if you ignore those and don't ignore the knock-on effects of that there's a problem but Mm. i mean like you can have magic you know and you don't need to necessarily justify how magic works on a rigorous scientific basis but it should be internally consistent and that's the kind of rigor i prefer to see right yeah so if you include magic it needs to have its own set of consequences they need to be dealt with yeah and yeah. they don't need to always be made explicit to the audience and um, it's better if you do yourself have some kind of understanding of of its limitations rather than just using it as a I get out of, you know, get out of writer's block card. Did, uh, are you advocating that writers should uh, hide their work when it comes to writing fiction, Bill, eh? No. <laughs> oh, no, really? Oh, it sounded very much like that to me. I said necessarily, Edgar. Oh, they should necessarily show it. That's okay. Uh, good. Like, you know, you know, <laughs> is it Sanderson's law? Uh, Sanderson's three laws of magic, isn't it? Uh, I only know one of them. <laughs> oh, I think there's three of them, as far as I know. Um, let's, let's Google it. Let's Google it. The one I'm thinking of, anyway, is the um, you a writer shouldn't use magic in a previously unseen way to solve problems. Yeah, they can use magic to they can use magic to create problems all the day. But if you just say, "Oh, and then they solve this thing because of some new magic you haven't heard of before," that's a cop out. Yeah, no, but that's uh, that's like Deus ex, ex machina. Yeah, totally. Yeah. But it's it's a kind of a specific impl- implementation yeah, of it. Exactly. I I totally agree with that. It's like um, uh, the Da Vinci Code. Mm-hmm. It's a great example of that. Of just stuff pops up to solve problems all yeah. the time. Like every That's solved now. <laughs> yeah, and every time they hit a roadblock, it's like and and I remember reading it when I was younger and going, I don't care anymore because I know whatever problem they have down the road, they're just going to solve it immediately and without any sort of like backing to it like it drove me nuts it was one of the first books i actually really hated <laughs> did not like that book now uh, on the subject have you got the three laws up there i can only find one of them oh i always thought there was a set of three huh well here's Branson's third law okay well, so that, i guess that, there is that implies there's at least three um Okay, so that, that was the first law. I'll actually, I'll read out he, how he's um, how, how he's, he's phrased yeah. it. Go for it, go for it. So, uh, an author's ability 
to solve conflict with magic is directly proportional to how well the reader understands said magic. Oh, it's beautifully phrased, isn't it? Isn't it? Yeah, that's that's really, and it's 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 very kind of intuitive, and it makes a lot of sense. Mm, mm, mm. Okay, the second law. I haven't come across this before. Every action is, has an equal and opposite reaction. <laughs> limitations are greater than powers. Limitations are greater than powers. Oh yeah, yeah, totally. So what he's what he's saying here is. When people describe a magic system, they usually talk about what it can do. Um, so Superman, what, what is Superman's powers? He can fly, super strength, lasers, etc. But he's suggesting that actually what makes magic interesting is what it can't do. Yeah. And what its limitations are. And oh, I really like this because this is the kind of thing I'm always saying about composing. Okay. You know, I was always saying this. Things are more defined by the limitations you put on them. Yeah. Then... Then saying, oh, well, if you just like sit down with a blank sheet and can do whatever, then you'll never get anything done. But if you say, oh, well, I want to use this kind of material, it's a lot easier. That's like maybe it's because we come from like an artistic background. But that yeah. like that second one there, that strikes me as like really obvious. Like I would never, I never embark on any sort of creative creative endeavor without first putting like strict limitations on what it is I'm about to do. Like if I do a painting, I'll be like, you know what, for this painting, I'll only use shades of blue or something right. like that. You know, like it would be like crazy for me to embark on a, on a creative project and just go, I'll just do whatever, you know? And maybe it's, maybe it's because it's an art, we come from an artistic background. I don't know. Um, but that one strikes me as obvious. It doesn't strike me as quite as obvious. Okay. Huh. Uh, but that's interesting, though. All right, third one. And the third one is expand what you already have before you add something new. So, <laughs> okay, sure. okay, okay, right. again, right? It strikes me, it's all very good. Brandon Sanderson, well done, great laws, right? But, like, that seems, again, seems really obvious. Like, fully explore the things you've created before you decide to do something else. You know? I know, man. I think this is definitely necessary. If you look at a lot of kind of amateur world builders, they just like throw stuff in and don't develop it. They like throw in as much as possible and don't actually hmm. explore individual elements. Yeah, see, this is the thing. This is this bias that people have where they think that the way they do things is the way everyone does things, you know? Yeah. Um. And again, I think it's maybe because of uh, an artistic background on my part that like these things are just intuitive in a way. Mm-hmm. If you look at the videos, right? I've spent nearly two years, right? And I've barely gotten to the point where you, where a person watching my videos can make their own Wikipedia page. I am one for sticking on something before going, you know? But, but yeah, okay, good good laws, good laws. I like them. And that that first one is eloquently phrased. It's great, isn't it? Yeah, yeah it's, it's so really, good. really good. So, so good. And on, on the magic thing, we weren't going to talk about this at all, but it looks like, it, you know what it looks like, Bill? It looks like this could be a follow-up episode. <laughs> let's end let's end the season with a follow-up episode let's end with your good stuff <laughs> um no but the magic thing right do you have any examples of really bad magic world building because i because i'm more of a sci-fi guy than i am a fantasy guy so um i, I don't think i even know how one would really have awful magic oh no wait harry potter that's not great magic as far as i know I have issues with Harry Potter. The magic isn't really has never really bothered me that much. Um, I've other world building issues with it, which I'm sure I've talked about before. Uh, you actually haven't. And, have I not? And, 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 and can we can we pin that right? And yeah, co- sure. And come back to it because you know we all love we all know Edgar loves to uh, mock and ridicule jovially uh, various works of fiction. 
Anyhow, so that's the pin on pin on Harry Potter, the magic. Yeah. yeah. So bad bad examples. Is there anything you can think of off the top of your head? See, I'm very very picky with them, um, with how I, with, with the fantasy that I read, and I I also really like liking things. So oh, really? I'm, not, I'm not naturally inclined towards criticism. You're ever um, the optimist when it comes to these yes. things. That's I did not know that. Yeah, I just I mean I like liking things. That's huh. Would you rather bang on about how much you like something or how much or, or complain about something? Like I'm a sort of person that like I love complaining about a thing I didn't like. Um, I would never like sit around and talk about how great something was because it's like yeah it's great great. It's it's rare enough that I'll really get a strong negative reaction towards things. Huh. So it's more of a novelty for me to complain about something. Definitely mind definitely. blown. And I lived with you, and I did not realize that. That's crazy. Yeah, I mean, I mean, like you know. Name some things that I like. I really don't like. I mean, there's some things that I think are kind of dumb or boring or whatever. Some but like, there's very few things I really strongly dislike. Yeah, I'm, I'm struggling. Yeah. Seal. Girl, <laughs> <laughs> I love seal. <laughs> for for the listeners, for the listeners, I cannot stand seal's music, right? And Bill loves it, and I I thought this was a joke. For the longest time, I thought it was a joke. I couldn't, I couldn't fathom how someone could like Seal's music. But apparently, because Bill does. Kiss from a Rose is an amazing it, song. Kiss from a Rose is just, oh, it's just awful. It's so good. I really is. I can't, I can't. Like, I'm willing to give a lot of music a go. Like, we we, we discussed this uh, in in real life last night. We we shared a lot of music together. I'm willing to give music a go. I gave Kiss from a Rose a go, and just no, <laughs> I can't. Um, but anyhow, the, anyhow, the, magic. The, the, one of the can I just bang on on that for a little moment for for seal for, from the negativity. Oh yeah, go keep going. Yeah, definitely. Like you know what my least favorite film is. Hmm. <clears throat> uh, um. Come on, Edgar. Oh, is it obvious? Yeah. Oh. Like I really hate this film. You really hate this film. <laughs> Have I watched it with you? No. no. I've, I only saw it once, you and op- I have no intention of ever seeing it again because I hated it. I have no idea. Prometheus. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah I, I, <laughs> I hate Prometheus. I hate everything about it, pretty much. There's, like, the first few minutes are okay, and Fassbender's acting is grand, and I... I <laughs> Every other thing that happened made me angrier and angrier. Uh, Bill, remember the axe? The axe was great crack. Oh my god, don't don't get me started. This is going to turn into an episode or, where I just list every single thing I hated about that film. Or, or do, you remember, do you remember the thing where they have like intimate knowledge of alien anatomy when the, the thing gets pregnant? And they know already how long it's going to take before the alien is, is going to be birthed because you obviously know these things. Edgar, please. <laughs> well, hold on, Mr. Positivity. Put your positive spin on this. Is there anything Is there anything good about Prometheus? Anything that's worth saving? It's visually impressive. It's visually impressive. Okay. Yeah, it's quite, it's, quite, it's quite visually impressive. Like, you know, it's a striking film. And Fassbender is quite good in it. But that's it. That is it. <laughs> right? Okay, the, the point I'm, what I'm getting at here is yeah. I'm really glad that I saw that film. Because if I had just gone and seen like any other films that were in the cinema that day and they, they either would have been good okay, or they would have been like kind of rubbish and whatever. They would have I been would not, not have had a stronger reaction. Yes. Yes. So like, 
while I am generally kind of more for positivity, and like I said, I like liking things, I like enjoying stuff, I, I, I try and see the good in the media I consume, um, I, it was just such a fresh experience to loathe a film as much as I absolutely despised Prometheus. Huh. That's, that's interesting. Can I, can I ask you a question? You can. Have you ever heard, come across any cases of bad magic building? <laughs> okay, well, as I said, <laughs> um, none, none really come to mind because I've never, I've never been aware of anyone just kind of throwing stuff together. I've never, I've never kind of been conscious that the, the author was just throwing stuff together, not really. I suppose they do kind of do that a bit in Harry Potter. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they do. She, she does do that a bit in Harry Potter. Yeah. Um, they don't really explain things much in sort of older fantasy stuff like Narnia and Lord of the Rings. Yeah, yeah. That's but that's true. that's a very different kind of thing. They're like Lord of the Rings is mythical. Yeah, so but the, yeah, exactly. So I, ne- I because of that, I never when reading or watching the films and the books, I, I never thought this is this makes no sense. It was always just like this is part of the world. Yeah, it and works. like Gandalf is an angel. Like, uh, he's literally, he's literally an angel. Is, so no, is it, he not? Is he not like a like a semi angel? Uh, yeah, he's not. But he's not he, like he's not full on angelic. Like he's not up there in the pantheon. He's like a, a demi, like a demigod, isn't he? I, I would say an angel ranks below a demigod. Okay, all right. I must, I must, I must watch CGP Grey's video again uh, on the mythology of Lord of the Rings. Huh. Um, but yeah, he's he's like a, a Valar or a Maiar or one of those things. Like mm-hmm. he is, he is a celestial being. So you know, it 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 makes sense internally for the audience not to really have a clear grasp on exactly what he's doing. Yeah, and, and Deus Ex Machina, in his case, is perfectly legit. <laughs> I guess. Literally the hand of God. <laughs> so, uh, flip it again. Any cases of extremely good magic building? Well, Brandon Sanderson. I'd say Mistborn is okay. very, very well done. Okay. Um, both in terms of how the system actually works and how the characters understand the system and how it's revealed to the to the audience. Okay. Cool. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. Uh, li- listeners, listeners, if you have any good and bad magic building, leave it in comments. Uh, I, I, I want to be informed about this because I really don't know. Mm. Um, so that'd Same. Be really yeah, cool. be really cool. What, um, what I'd, what I'd also recommend is the. Uh, um, have I talked about Scott Lynch before? No. He wrote a, a novel called The Lies of Loch Lamara. Oh jeez! Is... No, no, never heard of that. It's the the first in a. I think there's going to be ten novels in the the Gentleman Bastard sequence. Oh jeez. Okay. The first novel is absolutely fantastic. The way I sell it to people when I'm trying to get them to read it is it's Ocean's Eleven, set in a fantasy Renaissance Venice. Oh, that sounds cool. It's absolutely brilliant. It's it's an extended heist essentially. It's kind of a, a crime heist story in this sort of like fantastic pseudo Italian background. Wow. Um, that's really cool. Huh. The the characters in it themselves don't have access to magic. They're they're just thieves. <laughs> they're just kind of like scoundrels and rogues. Um, okay. And in their encounters with magic, when when they come in conflict with it, they have to fight it with like trickery and thievery and like sleight of hand and stuff. So Whoa. it's 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 brilliant because. And in, in that universe, magic, the, the way they've set it up politically is is extremely kind of powerful and extremely kind of monolithically powerful. Okay. So it's there's a, there's a whole element to it that they're like really sticking it to the man by by doing this. Cool. That, sound, that sounds 
genuinely very unique. It's yeah, it's an absolutely great, uh, absolutely great book. The sequel is also really good. Third one is pretty good. I wasn't as as sold on the third one, but um, I think the fourth one is out soon. And there's another seven to go. Yeah. Good. Apparently. Man, the fantasy authors, they like their books. They, they certainly do. Lots of the books. They um, certainly do. I feel really validated by that. By what? For the past number of years, an idea has been knocking... I, I've had I've two ideas in my head about creative projects I'd like to do, right? Mm-hmm. One, which is not related to what you just said, but I'll put it out there anyways, is I would like to do a... I don't know how to say it. It's like a, a short film, okay? That centers mm-hmm. around how to take down the internet, okay? Oh, yeah. But the cast are going to be, like, teenagers. Okay. That's project number one. Project number two that I've, like, literally been cooking for years is I would have loved to set a uh, noir gangster story in uh, set in the solar system. Mm-hmm. And it's really cool that it just that it, you, it springs up that you set there about, like, a heist in a fantasy setting. And I was like, oh, I was going to like do a gangster f- a gangster story in a solar system setting. And I was like, oh, that's really cool. That's, you know, made me think of it. But anyhow. I mean, Cowboy Bebop is in a lot of ways a gangster, f- a gangster movie. Uh, in my head, series. it is nothing like uh, Cowboy Bebop. It would will, will be kind of done like a 30s noir film. Okay. Except that they're able to fly to different planets. So as opposed to going to another city, you'd go to a different planet. They, they definitely uh, play with that a little bit in Cowboy Bebop though. Oh, Which again, I haven't watched stuff. all of pa- pa- Cowboy Bebop. I've watched yeah, a couple of episodes. Oh, okay. It's good stuff. It is, yeah. It's, it's very good stuff. One, one of the one of the animes I like. <laughs> one of them. <laughs> the one anime I like. Have you ever seen Death Note? Have I, I talked it. about Have I talked about this before? I don't think so, no. I started it. Okay, uh, I'm, no, I'm on about the film. Oh, no, never saw it. Okay, uh, worth watching. If you've got, you got about four hours to spare, you should watch it. <laughs> I it's very really long. could not get any interest in the in the anime. Really? No, just huh. bored me to tears. <laughs> is it now Studio Ghibli? Mm-hmm. I think what I'm about to talk about is Studio Ghibli. If not, I'm sorry, Internet. But I've seen very many like anime films, mm-hmm. like anime manga type things that all center around the idea of there being little to no plot. Just, just nothing happens. Okay. Um, and they're, they're, they're oftentimes like a coming of age sort of story. And you expect there to be like conflict and, and plot and, you know, resolution of conflict. But like there's nothing. And I, I really like watching those because you sit there and you're kind of like, I've just had two hours of chill. You know, I've just, I've watched really nice graphics and there's a kind of a nice meaning behind what I've watched. But I've... I haven't experienced the story, which is really, really weird, and I really enjoy it. The only Studio Ghibli I've seen is Spirited Away, which definitely has conflict. And yeah, no, that does. Uh, I, yeah. I'm, I'm on the fence about uh, Spirited Away. Really, I'm not as you know. Everyone's like, "This is the greatest thing ever made." I'm mm-hmm. not quite there with that. Okay. Um, I think of, I think more. I think the anime I, I do watch or have come in contact to, should I say is a little bit more subdued and that's the sort of thing I go for. You know? The other thing that comes to mind is have you ever seen adaptations? Of adaptations of what? There's a film called Adaptations. Have you seen it? Oh yeah, no, I haven't. <laughs> <laughs> you haven't? I have not, no. Okay. 
It's by um oh what's the guy's name? Give me a second. Charlie Kaufman. Yeah, no who, idea. Who also wrote Being John Malkovich. Oh, okay, alright, okay. And it's about the the film is about Charlie Kaufman trying to write a screenplay where nothing much happens. He tries to do an, a film adaptation of a book called The Orchid Thief. Okay. Uh, which is a, just a, a book about orchids, as far as I know. <laughs> right. And Charlie Kaufman really likes this book, and he wants to write. So he, he writes this film about himself trying to write about the screenplay version of this book. Oh, meta. While his brother is, <laughs> whose name I can't remember, um, something else Kaufman... Donald Kaufman Alright Also decides to become a screenplay Change career And become a screenplay writer And their kind of conflict And uh, both of these people Are played by Nicolas Cage And (laughs) Charlie Kaufman Is a real person But his twin brother isn't Alright okay And it becomes partially An adaptation Of The Orchid Thief That he's trying to write Within the film And it becomes partially About him trying to write the film And then it becomes Partially a fictionalized version of both of those accounts mixed together, and it is crazy. That is, that is the most majestic thing I've heard all day. And that it's a great awesome. film. What's it? I need to take this down. What's it called? Adaptations. <laughs> Adaptations. Cool. I'll check it out. Uh, a point, right? Mm-hmm. That brings up there, um, and this is a follow-up point and feedback from the Reddit. I mentioned last time on the last uh, podcast about advancing the plot. Mm-hmm. And I said, like, you know, if if it doesn't advance the plot, um, then there's no point having that scene or that paragraph or that chapter in your work, right? Yeah. I, I need to I need to clarify this, okay? Because I feel like I came across as some sort of Philistine here, okay? It's it's not just the plot, right? Like, one doesn't... You said you that's nonsense, and I agree with you. It is nonsense, right? You don't need to advance the plot. One just needs to advance something. Like, one can advance the symbolism. One yeah. could advance whatever. But if it's literally there for the sake of it being there because you as a writer think, ah, oh, this would be a good idea, then I think it's nonsense. Like, you said about... Uh, what was the example you gave um, in, in The Godfather? Mm-hmm. Now, I haven't seen The Godfather, right? But if that scene, you know, you said where he's playing with his grandchildren or whatever? Yeah. If that scene doesn't advance him as a character or advances the symbolism or advances something, then it's useless and then it needs to be cut. That that was, that was what I was getting at in, in, in the last podcast, but I just didn't, I didn't enunciate clearly because, Jesus, it's so hard to do this when trying to, trying to edit your thoughts live is just, oh, it's so hard. Trying to go off the dome. Trying to go off the dome? Trying to, like, um, improvise all, all your thoughts. Yeah, it's really, really difficult. Like, oh, it's, it's so much harder than the videos. The videos are great. You can take two, three weeks to just get everything down straight. But, like, it's really difficult. Anyway. I, mean, I, think, I think having something, having a scene or having a chapter that's purely aesthetic in, in function is still advancing something if, if that's kind of, if you if you structure it well and if that kind of fits in with the rest of the work. Yeah, I I think the key there in what you said is that there's a lot of ifs. Oh yeah, totally. You know, yeah, yeah. I, like, I'm just in, trying to avoid making kind of blanket statements about these kind of you, things. You really hate the blanket statements. Of course I do. <laughs> like I I noticed this as well in, in in editing the last one where you're kind of like that's a sweeping statement, Edgar. Like yeah, I get right that if you make a blanket statement, it needs to cover every eventuality, and that's impossible. 
Okay, and I get that there's a flaw in using them. But, like, you, there's a subtext to when people in casual conversation use them in that they are making, a, like, a statement about how they feel about a thing in general. And they're not meaning it to apply to every eventuality. I guess I just like to be kind of clear that I'm not talking about like, every eventuality. If I, were to, if I were to write a script, right... I wouldn't make blanket statements. I'd, I'd use lots of words like, you know, m- like say most languages use X, you know? Okay. Sometimes we see this, right? But because it's recording and we're live, like we're, we're, we're live-ish, I have no time to edit these things. So sometimes a blanket statement comes up. It doesn't invalidate my argument, I think, given the nature of how we are arguing. For me, I feel like it would when I make them. Really? Yeah. You see, if you were to make them, I just accept the meaning behind them, if you know what I mean. You know, like if you went, all organisms are alive, right? Or something like that. Uh, that's probably not the best analogy in the world. And, you know, I could put up my hand and be like, viruses, man. They're not really alive. Uh, are they organisms? I don't, I don't even know. That's why I said it's not even alive. <laughs> but if you make a sweeping thing like that, I'm not going to go... Oh, well, there's this one case where it breaks down. Therefore, what you just said is nonsense. I'll go, oh, no, I get what he's, I get where he's coming at there. He's making a point that the majority of things are. And if, if he was given 10 minutes to review his statement, he would come up with adequate wording. Do you know what I mean? I guess. I guess. <laughs> Sorry. It was, I was, I was a little, I was a little bit one ending. I was like, oh God. I was partly frustrated with myself because I was like, you know, Make sure when talking to Bill, you get things right. And then I was partly frustrated. You was like, "No, stop calling me out on the bits where I'm just a little bit off point." Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, but, but it's all—it's all good. It's all fun and games. All right, now, 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 we have covered three points out of the one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen points on our list. Bill, today we are doing very well. <laughs> okay, we're going to need to skip a couple of things here. Will, will we come back to the Harry Potter point? Do you want to talk about the Harry Potter point? If you like, I, I thought I'd said this before, but if not, I'll, I'll let's 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 go for it. Let's go for it. Okay. So I mentioned Harry Potter before, and that I have certain issues with Harry Potter. Mm-hmm. Um, overall, I think there's it has a lot to offer. You know, I like liking things. There's um, <laughs> it was it was you know I was a huge fan of it when it was being released. I I got the. The first book, a little while after it came out, a friend gave it to me, mm. and I was I was hooked, and I got the the subsequent ones on on release. Okay, but you know, in hindsight, there are a couple of issues with it from a kind of a writing point of view and from a world building point of view. And the way I I like to demonstrate this to people is asking them, "Who guards the wizard jail?" Oh yes, the uh, yeah the Dementors thing, yeah yeah. Yes, right. Right. They're only called the Dementors from book three onwards. Three, yeah, and before before that, they were just called the the Guard, isn't it? Like the Az- they're called the Azkaban Guards. Yeah, yeah. yeah and yeah, you yeah, know yeah. nothing about them, and that really annoyed me even at the time. That because you're dropping in just a new thing inexplicably. Yeah. yeah. So like, if these if these the, the the Azkaban Guards, why is everyone only referring to them as the Dementors from this point on? Like, did they... change of guard. <sighs> God. <laughs> like, did they get like a an official name change in 1993 and then everyone was like had to use it but beforehand it was fine that's not necessarily a world building criticism that's just the writing criticism isn't it that's just just dodgy writing on your part but how the world has been portrayed is it's a a huge inconsistency in how the world is portrayed 
Yeah, no, I, okay, I guess, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. And then stuff like... I mean, all, all of these will overlap, overlap a little bit with, mm. with writing criticisms. The, the, the Triwizard Tournament in book four. Yes. Now, what's wrong with that? Like, no one ever mentioned it to Harry ever, like, in his three years in Hogwarts. No one was like, well, yeah, we have this, um, yeah, a couple of years ago, these uh, this French school and this, like, creepy Eastern European school came over and we had this, like, big sports thing. It was, it was pretty cool. Like, yeah. It like, it doesn't have to turn up in, in, the, in the, the dialogue necessarily, but, like, you know, no one tells Harry anything that happens ever unless, like, directly involves him. Like, no one ever, has ever mentioned anything that's happened in the past. In the yeah, school, that's um, that's a fair point. And like the whole, like the whole last book is just she just pulled that out of thin air. It's like, oh, and there's these three plot critical items which no one's ever heard of before. I've never mentioned them, but you actually need them to resolve the entire series. So you better go find the Deathly Hallows. Uh, are they? Oh, right. Okay. Are they? The, the, what are the three items? I'm not the, that emotionally attached to Harry Potter, so I mean, like. Oh, it's like the Elder Wand, the Invisibility Cloak, and the Resurrection Stone, I think. They have a, they have an Invisibility Cloak. Yeah, but the, the concept of the Deathly Hallows was never mentioned until the seventh book. Alright. Does the Invisibility Cloak take on some sort of new meaning? Yeah, it becomes... it becomes. I think I think it's one of the Deathly Hallows. I'll just Google this to make sure. It, it becomes, like, critical to, to resolving the final conflict. Hmm. Yeah, no, I heard, I heard the that complaint before. Um, um, and I think I even like the it. Horcruxes aren't mentioned until like way into book six. I was like, that's, that's the Horcruxes. Why I was asking. You've seen them. You've seen the Horcruxes. You've seen several of them earlier. But the the, the fact of Horcruxes isn't mentioned till quite late in the game. Mm. And I'd need to reread it to kind of see how it's handled. But I, I suspect that it's a similar kind of thing. It's just kind of oh well, we need to uh, do um, this. Yeah, the uh, the internet, as far as I'm aware, has similar issues with the Horcruxes as you do. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think I think you're right there. Um, I have. I have other problems with it. Mm-hmm. They are all problems, right? But one of my problems is the Marauders map. Yeah, like that is like that's world breaking. You know, like that, like that. The bit of technology is is just it, it's game changing in terms of the world, right? Mm-hmm. But even aside from that, the Weasley twins had the map for many years before uh, it was given to Harry or Ron or whoever has it. Yeah. Yeah. And Ron had Peter Pettigrew in his pocket for many years. <laughs> yeah. So like, and I, this is not, uh, um, just uh, just listeners, this isn't any sort of new information. This is stuff I've read and subsequently have become horrified at. So it's not like I'm pioneering this sort of line of criticism. Just to, This is not my own opinions, just to, just to say. Um, but so, anyway, the, um, the, they should have seen Peter Pettigrew and Ron shacking up in the same room every night for many years and just didn't care. Like, like, just if you are to deduce the concept of a map, right, that has people's names on it, just think about all the people. Like, oh, just, oh that that when I found that out, and I didn't, I didn't stumble across this myself. But when I found that out, I was like, that's that's not great. That's not good at all. Um, does does it definitely show the names of people who are um, anime? Just, but nothing is said to the contrary. Yeah, we're told that it shows the name of people, so we can only assume that it shows the name of. People who were people, yeah, and you I guess know? this is this might be an example of kind of using your magic to kind of cover up. It's not exactly Samson's first law because it's not solving problems as such. No, it's, it's not. Um, it's not not quite. But I get your I get your point. It's, yeah. it's in the same kind of area. 
But no, but it's almost like she introduced this new power, this new magic, and just didn't explore like the ramifications of it or yeah. the limitations of it. So I, I, I've, I've problems with that. Um, I have problems with the banking system. Oh, sorry, I'm just looking on the Harry Potter wiki. Yeah. Oh, uh, the Marauders map is not fooled by animagi, polyjuice potions, or invisibility cloaks. There, you see. Uh. <laughs> And if and if what makes it even worse, if that's stated, if that's if that was written in J.K. Rowling's words in the book, that it's not fooled by this class of people or mm-hmm. these these things, that makes it even worse. You know, <laughs> but anyway, banking system. I have a problem with the banking system in Harry Potter. How's that? So, from what we know, and we can only go on what's given in the text, right? There is one bank. Yeah. Yeah, Gringotts. And all the wizarding community seems to use this one bank, mm-hmm. right? So the net assets of the wizarding world are stored physically in one location, right? Uh, well, no, because people will have their own assets that they, they aren't currently banking and stuff. And like, it's it's a kind of a feudal, pseudo-feudal system. So they'll have their own holdings and their own castles and things as well. Okay, would it be a safe thing to say that the most valuable assets of the wizarding world are stored in one location? I don't think that it's a leap to say that. I, I don't know, but I guess your point it will still be valid. Like, there's a significant amount of capital concentrated si- in Gringotts. Concentrated in Gringotts. Now, that, that one, that's a security issue, all right? Like, diversify yeah. your bonds in a sort of way, you know? <laughs> diversify your locations where you store stuff, right? That's the first uh, issue. Second issue is the bank is run by goblins, isn't it? Yeah. And in the narrative, they are said to, like, hate humans. Like, despise them, right? Mm. So you put all your wealth or a significant portion of your wealth in the hands of like a, a race that despises you. What part of that makes sense? I think I think goblins are also kind of somewhat subjugated by humans. Yeah, like there's the whole like the way it's set up, what the goblins should be doing is taking all the cash and just legging it. Like, <laughs> the only it's the only plausible thing there. It's just it's just really, really annoying. Like Well like if they've if they've like been the victim, like the, the losing side of some kind of like race war with the wizarding community, then they probably can't do that, you know? They they Okay, but there the, but there you go. The losing side of a race war. These are not good things. <laughs> like the, the like the banking system is it could be if you swing it the right way it could be like like you said about like race war and like quasi slavery perhaps and you can bring all this in and then on top of that it just financially makes no sense and it's a security threat oh oh, it just drives me nuts the the equivalent right bill if i were to go and take my net savings that i have right and give them to someone who like like a next door neighbor say who despises me and was like you Take my money, and when I need it, I'll come back for it. That's great. Thanks. <laughs> makes no sense. I'm sorry. Oh, I don't know. It's, it's whatever the balance of like economic power is after the kind of the the Goblin War, you know, it's it could be just one of those weird historical situations. Uh, fair enough, yeah. But then, like that, added in with every other world building problem, you're kind of like, mm, I don't know if this was intended as a, like a minor quirk. <laughs> <You know>? Yeah. <laughs> um, and uh, like, oh, there's so much more. The like the the love potion. Mm-hmm. Like, the, I don't want to get into it because it's pretty grim. But the love potion has serious moral implications. Oh yeah, I mean that's that's a uh, wicked creepy. 
Yeah, yeah, that, 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 as far as I can remember, now again, I read it, I read these books when the roundabout when they came out, but as far as I remember, like, this wasn't, like, like, tempered in any way, or explored further, it's just this, this thing was dropped in, and you were left with the feeling of, oh, right, well, that's really weird, you know, like, just, yeah. If you drop in an element, explore it. I have no problem with grim and dark elements in something, but you need to you need to fully explore the ramifications. Otherwise, don't drop the thing in. It's advancing the plot, Bill, all over again. <laughs> oh, oh. Calm down, Edgar. Pretty. pretty. <laughs> Exhale that beautiful chlorine. Now, um, <laughs> the uh, what's it called? Um, so anyhow, Harry Potter problematic. I think it's really uh, overall though if we were going to like if if we want to like things if we want to like liking things it has a lot of plus points. Yeah. Yeah. Um and we're being or at least I'm being particularly harsh because I like being harsh about things. <laughs> but yeah, Harry, Harry Potter's fine. It's 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 all gravy. And the films I like the films. I think the films are quite well done. They're visually quite impressive and they've maintained a sort of level of impressiveness the entire way through. Mm-hmm. And any problems with them can be stemmed back from the writing. Also, J.K. Rowling as a writer, as far as I remember, she had a she had a wicked penchant for just throwing everything at at you in terms of like vocabulary. I, I, I seem to remember. I, I seem to remember as well, like the, how she went about saying like he said, you know, like blah 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 blah. He said blah yeah. blah blah blah. She replied. There there seemed to have been an awful lot of words used for said. And are you posing that as a positive or a negative? No, a negative. Like way too okay. many. Like as in oh, like okay. as in like she, she went for kind of overindulgence over functionality. Like twelve year old essay kind of stuff. I wouldn't say J.K. Rowling is a twelve uh, is the, uh, of the same level as a twelve year old essay. No, but, but, you, but yeah, that kind of thing where you just use all the words in the thesaurus because that's what your English teacher said. <laughs> oh God, I hope no English teacher actually says that. Yeah. Did your English teacher say it? That's when I was younger, when I was a bit younger, yeah, I was like, you know, don't just say he went, say he strolled or he sauntered. Or... <laughs> he sauntered, I love that. A, little, a, a sort of elementary school level story. <laughs> the man sauntered down the road. <laughs> That's brilliant. Um, actually, as, as a question, mm-hmm. and again, not related to anything at all. Well, moderately. I always struggled. I'm not a good writer. I always struggled in school writing stories. Mm-hmm. I was fine with coming up with the story not good at portraying the story. And one right. of the biggest problems I had was dialogue. And I never, it was never taught to me and I never understood what's the rules regarding putting in like stuff like he said, she said, they replied. Like, like I realized that it doesn't come after every line. It's not like Bill said, stop talking about, no, Bill, uh, stop talking about this, Bill said. Why do we need to go on about? He continued. Like when yeah. when does one not do those things? I don't I don't understand it. I don't know of any kind of strict guideline to be honest. Is it is it a feeling thing that just writers develop the feel for how to make it flow better? I reckon so, yeah. I reckon so. That always bugged me. I always felt any sort of dialogue I had was just stale and unimaginative. So I guess I'll never write my noir in space. <laughs> Okay, so we had a comment in the Reddit, which I believe came from our resident space cartographer once again, Dominic. Very good. And it was a comment about maths. Okay. We had a relatively matsy episode um, last week, and he left a comment about postfix and prefix notation. 
Oh, because we were talking about order of operations, weren't we? We were talking about order of operations. Now, do you know what postfix and prefix um, notation is? I don't. All right. So, for the listeners and for Bill, the regular way we do maths is we use infix notation. Uh, that is, we have an operand, which is like a constant or a number or a variable, then an operator, and then another operand. So, like two plus three. Okay. All right. The operator is infixed, fixed in between the two operands. And so postfix is that the operator is just after the two operands. So you'd have... Okay, so 5, 4 plus. 5, 4 plus, exactly. And then prefix is that it's just beforehand. So you have plus 5, 4. Mm-hmm. All right? And it, um, the reason why this exists is because it makes life easier for computer scientists, as far as I know. Because you don't need things like parentheses and it saves space when uh, programming and coding. Um, so it works very well for uh, computer programmers. It's not very intuitive for actual humans. But I was thinking about this. I was like, mm, maybe this would be a cool thing to explore uh, when world building a culture. That a culture has developed like post or prefix notation as opposed to infix. And I thought that'd be a really interesting thing to try and do. Thoughts? Okay. Yeah, sure. That, that, that is quite interesting. I mean, because there are a number of examples of very different numerical systems in the real world. So this, I guess, is just looking at it a little bit further. I don't really know much about actual ways of thinking about maths in in other cultures. Well, this well this ties into the next point I was going to make actually uh, about I could t- like if I was to like run with this poster prefix notation as uh, the way my culture uses maths. I'm definitely going to try and couple it with my love of base 12. And then when we speak about how cultures deal with things, like many cultures throughout our um, the Earth's history have used different bases for counting in. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it, it hit me there when, when Dominic left the comment. Um, I could do like a post-fix base 12 math system for my culture. And I, the, the more I thought about that, the more I was like, oh, that's cool. That's really mm-hmm. cool. Um, your love of base 12 yes this is new to me alright I I don't like the system we have at the moment I think a lot of people don't like the system we have at the moment base 10 is it's it has its advantages but it's also got some serious drawbacks like what well like for example the factors of 10 right are really limited they're just 2 and 5 okay so right. we can really easily divide things in 2 and in fifths. Now, two, mm. like, halves are very important in real life. Fifths, not so much. And when you look at base 12, because all numbers then go up to 12, um, and then you start looping and repeating, um, you can divide things in halves, thirds, quarters, sixths. There's a lot more. And 12 is particularly unique because it's a low, one of the, the lowest number with uh, four factors. Right. Okay, so that would, if a culture were to develop a base 12 system, like if they say, I say they had like six fingers on each hand, they would be much, they would be much easier for them to do fractional stuff on the fly. Well, for those fractions. Well, for those fractions, but there's more of them, you see. Yeah. Like a third of 10 is a pretty tricky concept to think about. Like, obviously we know it's, you know, 0.33333, or I'm sorry, a third of one is (laughs) 0.33333. Um, but that's a recurring thing, you know, and, mm-hmm. and a third is a fairly common fraction, you know, like it's not inconceivable that someone 
you know, way back in the early days would have wanted to sell a third of his flock of sheep. <laughs> Uh, but trying to do that is, is is really hard if you have 10 sheep, you know? See what I mean? So it's harder to think but in fact. If you have 10 sheep in base 12, it's just as hard to sell. <laughs> yeah, I realize it's a flawed thing. But the, the point is, the point is, there are more factors for 12. And 12 is a low enough number to grasp that it's it's a um, it's a better system than base 10. It's never We're never going to change base 10. Uh, it would be too much of like a, a like a monumental task to try and undertake, but twelve is better, and it's it's nicer than say twenty four because like base twenty four has you know more factors again, but twenty four gets a bit unwieldy. Yeah, it's a bit big. Yeah, and then like and I don't know how the Mayans did it with their base sixty, but they did it. But the well, idea it was, of, I think it was six tens. It wasn't straight. It wasn't like a straight run to sixty. Oh, wasn't that a straight run sixty? I don't think so. No. Okay, well that would make more sense because having sixty individual symbols and sixty words for those symbols—that's just really cumbersome. Twelve yeah. is small enough to be understandable and uh, has enough factors to make it an extremely oh, useful base. Hold on, I think it might have been three twenties actually. Oh, that's much less impressive. Although 20, what 20 is, you can divide, you know, easily divide things in halves, tens, quarters. Yeah, the halves and the quarters is is useful. Mm-hmm. Um, but still, base 12. And there's people, there's like societies around the world, like the, the Dozenal Society of North America, I think it's called, that advocate for changing the base 12. Now, clearly that's ludicrous. It's not going to happen. But if you're world building a, a fictional culture, Base 12 is quite easy uh, quite easy to implement. So anyhow, regardless, uh, Dominic made me think about this and I might actually look deeper into prefix, no, postfix notation in base 12 for my culture. Just thought I'd put it out there, you know? Cool. Yeah. All right. Any thoughts? Nothing comes to mind. That's no, cool. it's, it's a it's a straight up interesting idea and I'd like to see what people can do with it. Yeah, it'd be really interesting. If anyone else wants to leave any maths world building in the subreddit, you know I like the maths. So go for it. <laughs> All right, okay, so there was that. Now, I think the final thing we'll talk about today is the season finale. Sure, yeah. So, so explain this to me. <laughs> I'm not fully aware of, of this this concept. So this is the last episode of the season. Okay. Right? Why is it a season? Okay, so it's nice to group things into, like, groups. You know what I mean? So yeah. one can make changes per season. Yeah. That's, it, it just works nice in my mind. And with the base 10 system we have, it makes sense that this would be the last episode of the season. Does it? Yeah. The way it works is if you take the leading digit of the episode number, that gives you whatever season you're on. So episode 12, for example, will be a season one episode. Episode 24 will be a season two episode. And we're using computer science numbering here, like with the episodes, that the first season is season zero. The first season is season zero. By rights, I should have, when I did this, uh, made every episode like zero one, zero two, zero three. I did not do that. Uh, I am a fallible human. So for the most part, you're able to spot what season you're on by the episode. Okay. Yeah. I don't know. Seems kind of... I don't know. So but, what kind of? <laughs> yeah, I mean, like it's, it's kind of arbitrary. Or something. It's 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 a non-event. Like it's not like anything's going to change. We're going to have a regular podcast out next month at the same time. You know. Yeah, so it's, it's not really just, a, a season then, is it? Because it's it's like independent of actual 
relation to the year or whatever. Oh yeah, it's totally independent of relation to the year. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Like a season on artifacts on the artifacts podcast is going to be ten episodes. And that's just the way it is. Here's a world building challenge. <laughs> Here's how it go for it. Let's come up with a setting where we use the like the podcast and the videos as kind of generative material for the figures. So a season is ten months long. What are you talking about? What? what? I I don't follow at all what you're saying. So we have like a setting, and the seasons are ten month are ten months long. Oh, because the podcast podcast. has been running for ten months. Yeah, and then you know what's your what's your average video upload period? Then that could be some other kind of period with it on on the planet. (laughs) But what happens then, Bill, if we decide to do a burst of episodes and put out like three in a month? The seasons well, change then. Oh, I wonder what that sounds like. Game of Thrones, anyone? It could be a chaotic system. It, it, it's, there's lots of ways to think about it. And, or we could just draw a line at some point and say we're using the average figures up until here. Oh, that's a good point. Yeah. Um, there you go. World building challenge, people. <laughs> what are the ramifications of a 10-month season? Really big flowers. <laughs> I'm sure it is. Uh, so the... Yeah, so the whole point of the season thing is that if we need to make changes or we want to make changes, we can do so per season. Okay. Okay, so the watershed moment in yes. which to do so. Exactly, yeah. And so this is uh, one of those watershed moments. So I thought I'd run by you and the listeners some ideas I've had for next season. Please do. Uh, yeah. And that we can incorporate uh, to make the podcast more fun and more enjoyable for people. Yeah? Yeah. So the first thing I thought of was having a flag corner. Okay. All right. So reasons for this. Flags uh, are great. Flags are <laughs> flags are great, right? And um, I know Thanks a lot of people first. who listen to our podcast also listen to Hello Internet, or so iTunes tells me. Hello Internet is a big fan of their corners. They have a lot of corners. Some okay. might say too many corners, but I think it's just right. One can never have too many corners. Um, and they also discuss flags. But what they don't have is a flag corner. And me personally, I wish they doubled down on the flags and discussed more about flags. But I don't think that's going to happen. So I feel like we can exploit this a little bit. You know, because we are obviously a podcast on par with Hello Internet. Like, I would say let's, easily. Let's be fair. And perhaps even better, you know? <laughs> but uh, So I thought it might be a neat idea if there's some sort of something in the news, for example we discussed the flag pertaining to that. Like, for example, at the moment, there's a, a new prime minister in Canada, I think. Mm-hmm. And he seems to be taking the world by storm. Um, uh, Justin Trudeau? Yeah. I know nothing about this fella, but like that's in the news. So we could, like, for example, spend a few minutes discussing the Canadian flag. Yeah. You know, and talk about our feelings towards it. Is it a good flag? Is it a bad flag? Maybe some interesting facts about it. And that might be able to help people inform... It might be able to inf- uh, help inform people like doing their own flag creation i would be on board with that i i like the sound of it i like to see what the subreddit says if if they enjoy that idea i think it'd be really cool we could also do a flag guessing game i kind of want to do this because my knowledge of flags i think is fairly substantial so um i kind of would like you (laughs) you to be like can you tell me what the flag of somalia is and then i'll be like oh it's this thing or whatever uh and i'd like i'd like to Yes. Blue background with a silver star or a white star? Yeah, that's exactly it. So I can't, well done, Bill. So it'd be kind of cool to test my knowledge about this. Um, I'm terrible on African flags. I find I find the, I find them quite hard to memorize the African ones. Africa is fine, right? As long as you um, 
ignore just the middle part of Africa. The middle part is horrendous. They're all green, gold, and red. I see. That's what I thought about the the kind of West Africa. Okay. No. So when I'm saying middle of Africa, I mean like take the equator. Yeah. And go a couple of degrees either side of it, and just that whole section, the entire way across the continent. Okay. That's so like between the Sahara and uh, like and sub-Saharan. Well, no, sub-Saharan Africa is everything down there. And yeah. <laughs> and well, so- I used to really get confused by that term. I thought it meant sub-Saharan in climatic terms, like almost as arid as the Sahara, rather than just south of the Sahara. So then people were saying, like, that, like, Mozambique was sub-Saharan Africa. I was like, well, how is that relevant? It's miles away. (laughs) And then I figured out they were talking about just the direction. It's just a geographical thing. But yeah, so a guessing game would be cool. I'd really like a guessing game. And it'll keep me on top of my uh, my memorizing the flags because I have I think I have most of the flags of the world memorized and most of the state flags memorized as well of the United States of the United States yeah and I might crack on and give Australia a shot <laughs> with their all the same state flags which is hilarious are they all really similar yeah they're all they're all ridiculously similar like. Yeah, so that so flag corner I think would be cool, but like again, I, I'd like to hear from people listening if they think it's a goer because like you know we don't want to be harping on about stuff people don't want to listen to. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. All right, so that's uh, potential segment number one. Potential segment number two, a sort of world building uh, FAQ slash Q and A. Okay. So we had a little bit of this last week where we had an email regarding the the plausibility of rings. Hmm. On a around an Earth-like planet, um, I thought it'd be cool, like if people just want to leave us random world-building questions in an email, and then we we'd answer some of them in the next episode. You know, mm-hmm. I think that might be a really interesting way of sparking a, a bit of conversation, and also and also addressing people's you know issues. You know, yeah, that'd be great, and we'd love to like hear what our listeners are getting up to, and um. So yeah, riff off those ideas and and build new stuff. Definitely, definitely. I think that'd be a really cool idea. Third point, um, it's not really up for debate in a way. I'm kind of giving you a heads up here. <laughs> okay, <laughs> is that uh, I am going to uh, publish the the episodes we have done so far on YouTube. Okay, all right, um, because again, following the precedent of Halloween chat, which I think is they do they have a really smart system and also i've had a lot of comments underneath the videos where i've said you know we discussed this point in the podcast and then people saying oh i don't i don't do podcasts or i have problems listening to your podcast because you know if you just listen on the website it's fairly awkward you need to do it through itunes or rss so for those people we could cater for those people by chuckling on youtube Okay. Right. Will that be like every new episode will go up or are you going to do it like, you know, with some delay or... Yeah, so um, what's going to happen is that the, the the episodes on YouTube will be one season behind. Cool. All right. And, and you'll upload them in bulk. No, no. And they'll go up as we put out new ones. Okay. Cool. So, so release date of the first episode of season one will be also the release date of the pilot for season zero. I, 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 I think that'd be cool. And also, no one likes to talk about money, right? But in the off chance that they somehow do well, I doubt it's going to happen because like, no, no, like YouTube is not a podcasting platform, right? But if they happen to get some sort of traction and people like them, particularly recently, you've been doing a lot of good stuff for Edgar, right? Which we're not going to talk about in public, but a lot of good stuff has been happening for Edgar based on Bill's uh, stuff. And Bill is giving up his free time 
to do these things. So if ever they... Gladly. Yeah, I know, but you are still giving up your free time. And it's not like for an insignificant amount of time. Like we've been here, what, for three hours? Uh, Coming on that, yeah. Yeah, coming on three hours. So it's not insignificant. And um, if I can give some money towards that for you, that would be really cool. Um, Yeah, it would. (laughs) (laughs) And so if if we happen to make something off the ad revenue, then I I would feel a lot more uh, comfortable, like just shipping some cash your way as a thank you. No guarantees, Bill, because I mean, like, I have made an insignificant amount of money in my two years on YouTube, so... I'm expecting nothing, Edgar. You're, oh, well, that's really good. But I, again, I just suppose it's a roundabout way of saying I really appreciate, um, oh, we're looking at us getting all nostalgic at the end of the season. <laughs> uh, really appreciate. I've had the time <laughs> of my life. If only, if only we could just pirate that and stick it underneath the thing. <laughs> oh, it'd be so good. But no, genuine, man. Like, thanks for being on this journey from, with me. It's really cool. And if I can give back in some way, I will do the, my utmost to do so to keep everything on a on a, a balanced playing field, you know? Well, genu- genuinely, Edgar, thank you for inviting me. Oh, this is all getting very soppy. I'm going to definitely see, can I find some, like, real soppy music to go underneath this? <laughs> we, can, we can play, we can, we can play this out. We can play the episode, the, the end of the season, even. We can finish the season <laughs> With, with like with like the uh, public domain equivalent of a seal tune just going <laughs> going in the background as we lament our journey in this past past 10 months but yeah so that's 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 the shtick and if anyone has any other thoughts for what they'd like to hear on the podcast or if they have a suggestion for a segment or anything like that at all like give us give, like drop us a line seriously and and we'll see what we can do yeah definitely listeners we 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 feed off you Keep us fed. We do. We, le- <laughs> we leech off you. We're like blood-sucking vampires. <laughs> but no, we really do appreciate all your feedback and everything. Yeah, yeah, so. no, of course, of course, yeah. And it, it is super fun talking to people in the Reddit. Like, mm-hmm. I, 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 Agreed. I, I didn't think I'd enjoy chatting um, so much on YouTube and Reddit, but I really genuinely enjoy hearing people, and especially when people riff off what we've said. Yeah, it's great. great, and I'm just like, oh, I never had that idea. That is awesome. Wait, let me come back at you with something else. All right, then you go, you go. It's great, love it. So those are the those are our three plans for the first episode of season one. And yeah, and I guess this brings to conclusion our our first season of the Artifacting Podcast. Sure does. Oh. It's been emotional, Edgar. It's it's very emotional, although nothing has changed. I'm really sorry, listeners. We had a main topic lined up to speak about. We're going to talk about like the relevance of using hard science in sci-fi and whether or not pseudoscience is uh, good enough research material for sci-fi works. But I guess we never got to it, Bill. Strangely and unaccountably, we ended up going on a tangent, which is just unheard of. I think a tangent is probably understating the case. Inconceivable. Yeah, this never happens. We're always bang on point. In, out, get the job done. Boom. Yep.
the, the phrase Netflix and chill. I have been using this phrase wrong. Oh, God. I like where the story is going. 